0: What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to Martial Media Montage, episode 113. I'm going to be talking about Wolf Cop 1 and 2, the second one being called Another Wolf Cop. Yeah, I know, strange title, but it's a lot of fun. Uh, Looker, 1981, a sci-fi film. Outland, 1981, another sci-fi film, a little more notable cast. Uh, Looker at least had James Coburn in it as the villain. Outland had Sean Connery. I'll get into that in a minute. And then I decided to go out with a bang uh, in terms of uh, the five films I'm going to be talking about. I don't think I'm going to reveal it right here. I'm a little uh, sentimental and nostalgic about it. doesn't hold up as well as I remember. Obviously, the first three, I think, being better. But that being said, I'll talk about it lastly because, like I said, I wanted to go out with a bang. But anyway, Happy New Year, everybody. Welcome uh, for sticking around this long. I can't believe I've been doing this a little over a year now. About a year and some change, maybe like two months or so. Uh, and in terms of pickups, I picked up uh, the Wizard. The uh, What is it? 1989, 90, around there. Uh, Fred Savage. And a young, young Tobey Maguire film and Christian Slater about uh, basically the reveal of Super Mario Brothers 3 and the Power Glove. The Power Glove, it's so bad. That's why I love it, or whatever the hell that kid says. But yeah, it's a promo screening VHS. I've looked for it on eBay. I can't even find it. And the typical one that has the most notable iconic cover has... I don't know. It goes for about maybe, I think, 60 to 80 bucks. So, I mean, if this is a promotional screening, VHS only, it's got to go for maybe like 100. It's always nice to know the prices of these things, but I'm going to hold on to it. It's pretty cool. Uh, and I finally beat uh, Final Fantasy Mystic Quest. I thought it was fun. Uh, you know, I think it should have just been called Mystic Quest. It looks a lot like Final Fantasy. They probably put the name on it in order to make sales. But uh, once again, you know, a strategy. I'm not say, no, it's not strategy. It's a, a two person um, turn based. Uh, JRPG, and I think I beat it in about I think it was maybe like seventeen to eighteen hours or something. Um, I'm not sure if you guys can find it via Switch or uh the Super Nintendo Switch online or something, but you know it's originally on Super Nintendo, made by Square, and it I would say it's 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 a lot of fun. It's not necessarily as easy as everybody says it is. I definitely died a couple times that, or maybe I just suck, but. It's definitely an uh, entry-level turn-based JRPG that is well worth your time, uh, in my opinion, of course. But uh, I'd say it's a lot of fun if you like that kind of stuff. And then uh, a possible Dreamcast deal I have going on tomorrow. I saw the uh, Sega Sports Edition, the black one, with the uh, controller, all the cords, and a uh, white controller as well with a white VMU. I think it was like three sports titles. It was like uh, NFL, NBA, NBA and a world series baseball the 2k series and then it was uh tom clancy's like rogue six or something or rogue spear that's what it was called and he's only asking like 150 and i was like okay well i know it definitely all of that together goes double i mean the sega sports edition console by itself even goes for 150 and i was like all right i was like if that's what he wants i was like i'll hopefully hit him up tomorrow and pick that up so so cool um all right well that being said i guess let's get into the episode everybody let's go everyone. Once again, welcome back. New year, and uh, I'm starting it off with a little bit of Grover Washington Jr., Mr. Magic, the 1975 full album, a little jazz funk. I think it's a lot of fun, but I'm going to be talking about Wolf Cop. It is free on be the first one. It is like such an homage to like 80s just or even like 70s just grindhouse like horror comedy creature feature in a sense. It's a lot of fun. The practical effects, the acting between them isn't necessarily the best, but the banter is funny. And it's just over-the-top gruesome and just grotesque and gratuitous nudity. It's just so much fun. It, like, reminds me of, like, I don't know, going to the drive through Not drive through Drive-in as a kid. It's just a lot of fun. But 2014, the film came out. It is underrated. It was about an hour and 19 minutes long. It has a 5.5 out of 7,500 on IMDb. And I'd at least give it a 6. Like I said, I, I thought it was a lot of fun. The, the sequel is a lot of fun as well. Uh, it is labeled here as a horror comedy, which, no surprise, as I mentioned, it just makes perfect sense for what it is. It's also on Freevie if you have it. It's about a series of strange and violent events begin to occur. An alcoholic policeman realizes that he has been turned into a werewolf as a part of a larger plan. Directed by Lowell Dean. I don't know what else this individual did. If this is their first film or not, let's take a look. If I can recognize anything else. Nope, never heard of anything, so I'm not even going to bother. <laughs> well, more power to you, brother. Lowell Dean, that was, that was awesome. I had a lot of fun. It's a lot of new up and coming actors and actresses. There's nobody really notable that I can recognize in any B film that I've really watched new or old for that matter. But, uh, oh man, what's the uh, tagline here on the cover? Here comes the fuzz. Oh, it's awesome. It it looks like it's even hand drawn, like how they used to do it back in the eighties and nineties too. That's what I love about it. Oh God, it's so good. I would love to have that poster. Well, well worth your time. This one's so much fun storyline here. Uh, is It's not unusual for an alcoholic cop, Lou, to black out and wake up in unfamiliar surroundings. But lately, things have taken a turn for the strange and Harry, I get the pun. Nice. Wolf Cop is the story of one's cop quest to become a better man. One transformation at a time. Um, what do we got here? Trivially, let's take a name here. Hang on. The name of the main character, Lou Garou, means werewolf in French. I... I didn't know that. I, I speak, I'd say, enough French to get by. I'm definitely a lot more fluent in Spanish, admittedly. Uh, when Lou first comes into the police station, he opens a drawer George the Desk. You get a quick glimpse of what looks like a Jack Daniels old number seven Tennessee whiskey bottle. The label actually says Jim Dandy's old number two Kentucky whiskey. <laughs> That's funny. There's a scene at the end of the critics. What a fucking, that was a dumb, I, like, <laughs> wow, for a trivia. Okay, well, I guess I missed that. I mean, I still have it on Tubi. I might have to go back, just pull up the credits, and then just sit through it, it's just funny the way that it's just worded, it's just simple, it's like saying, there's credits at the end of the movie, and then people say, it's helpful, I'm like, all right, whatever, it's just, it just sounded dumb, there's a scene in front of an auto body repair shop called, uh, Styles, Auto Body, Styles was Scott Howard's best friend in Team Wolf, okay, all right, I guess only nerd nerds know that one, and lastly, filmed in Regina, Saskatchewan, Canada, and Moose Jaw, Saskatchewan, okay, I mean, it's pretty obvious, I mean, I guess. Well, then again, I've never been to Canada, but from what I gather, it looks like Canada. How about that? <laughs> that still doesn't give it justice, but anyway. All right, let's scroll down and see what we got here. Released February 2015, 2015 in the Philippines of all places. Um, produced by The Coup Company and Echolands Creative Group box office. Its budget was a million dollars. I don't see anything in terms of gross. Maybe Wikipedia has something else to say about it. Let's take a look. Released to Cineplex Odeon Theaters in Canada on June 6, 2014. So, all right, it doesn't match necessarily there. It's about, what, eight months later, released in the Philippines. And then released DVD and Blu-ray in the UK on October 13, 2014. Followed by a sequel, Another Wolf Cop, in 2017, three years later. Uh, what do we got here? Purdue, oh, uh, wow, can't I speak English. Holy shit, and there's your first one. Film began in October of 2013 in Saskatchewan, Regina, and the surrounding area. It is Dean's second feature, having previously shot 13 Erie in the same location. The film was set to rely on retro style practical effects instead of computer generated imagery. And that's what I love about it because I don't know, man, I'm just very, very, very picky when it comes to like appropriately just well generated CGI. And this just hits it out of the ballpark with some awesome practical effects. Uh, receptively on review aggregator uh, Rotten Tomatoes. Here we go. Film has an approval rating of 65% of all things. I didn't expect that. Based on reviews from 20 critics, an average rating of 5.6 out of 10, which reflects what IMDb has to say of 5.5 5 out of 7,500 reviews. Alright, I like that. Bloody Disgusting. Patrick Cooper giving Wolf Cop a positive review. A perfect storm of creature action, yes. The occult gore, intrigue, humor, and lycanthropic puns, Wolf Cop is destined for cult glory. Agreed. It, it literally manages to Create an amalgamation of whatever you know stuff you loved growing up watching these old crappy you know like creature feature horror slasher films in a matter of an hour 19 minutes and it does it flawlessly i loved it uh leslie felperin of the guardian gave it a score of three out of five and writing you can't help but warm to this old school canadian horror comedy about a law enforcer with a snout for crime all right i get it craig anderson of fangoria read it four out of five stars that is writing while wolf cop does tend to overreach and too often falls back on its predictable buddy cop formula slapstick shtick it's still plenty of fun yes agreed All right, what do we got here uh, a couple more conversely bruce demar of the toronto star giving the film a one and a half out of four and eh, fuck off asserting that its humor never rises beyond the french pun used for fafard's character yeah you can yeah whatever what else we got here Uh, Wolf Cop, for now, summarized that the film, thus aiming for so bad that it's good status, the derivative effort gets stuck in moderately bad. I disagree. And I'm not going to get into the uh, sequel just yet because I'm about to talk to it right now. (laughs) Dude, the fucking... Oh, dude, the cover is awesome. It's so... Okay, another Wolf Cop. The tagline here is the hairy arm of the law. I love how the front cover is literally a pun to uh, Stallone's Cobra. It's awesome. Uh, what's the tagline at the top? Sequels are a disease, meet the cure. <laughs> That's awesome. It has a 5.3 out of 1700 reviews. I'd still give this one a 62. It's like just as gruesome, if not more so. And you know, it's a little far-fetched over the top. Uh, there's definitely Kevin Smith is in this one, which is really cool. I mean, clearly he's a fan and he was in it for a very short period, but still really, really cool. Uh, labeled here is comedy fantasy horror, which I suppose the first one could have uh, had that tag along as well in terms of genre. Alcoholic werewolf cop Lou Guru springs into action when an eccentric businessman with evil intentions seduces Woodhaven's residents with a new brewery and a hockey team in this outrageous horror comedy sequel, also directed by Lowell Dean. And uh, it's also free on Plex as well as Pluto TV rather than uh, just Tubi TV, as I mentioned. Once again, basically the same cast. Uh, Kevin Smith, like I said, is in this, which is really cool. And he's not even... He's not even top billeted in this. Maybe he might have been like uncredited. That's weird. I don't know, but yeah, he's definitely in it for a little bit. All right, storyline here a little more. Uh, nah, you guys get the gist. Anyway, trivia. Let's take a look. Okay, here we go. Kevin Smith got it. He's he's on the he's on the list for. Uh, I saw it. Where was it for trivia? What? He was there, and then now he's not there. Whatever. It was there, but he disappeared. Maybe I'll find it again. Okay. Singer Gowan appears as the evil organist Organo at the hockey game. The Canadian singer has a song on the soundtrack of this film as well, as well as the uh, predecessor, Wolf Cop, in 2014. The hockey cheerleaders wear horn-rimmed glasses with masking tape on them. This seems to be a reference to the Hanson Brothers in Slapshot 1977. Lou Guru, or also spelled differently but pronounced the same, means lycanthrope or werewolf in French. We already knew that from the previous trivia. Filmed in Lumsden, Saskatchewan, once again filmed in Canada, Lou has a July 1989 calendar hanging in his hideout, which indicates clearly an homage to what I mentioned before, creature features and horror comedies of the 80s, which is awesome. Uh, Lastly, what do we got here? Matthew Kennedy, Adam Brooks, and Connor Sweeney played the thugs dressed as Santa and his elves in the opening action scene. The three comprise Astron Six, a Winnipeg-based production company specializing in low-budget horror comedies such as this movie. Awesome. Okay, here we go. There we go. Uh, Cameo. Kevin Smith as Mayor Bubba Rich. His brief role came about while he was in Saskatchewan scouting possible locations for Moose Jaws. (laughs) Oh, man. I'm going to have to check out Moose Jaws. I hope it's exactly what I think it is, like literally a Jaws parody with, like, Moose uh, you know, killing everybody. That'd be awesome. Director cameo Lowell Dean is the man looking down at his phone near the camera shortly after Swallows gets hit in the head by the boom mic. I definitely remember seeing that. That's funny. Okay. All right. What else we got here? Another wolf cop. Come on. Um, released September 25th, 2016, uh, filmed in Canada, as I mentioned by the coup company produced by vortex words and echo lens. Once again, its budget here was three million, so they managed to uh, grab a little more, and it only grossed about seven thousand dollars. Holy crap! Ah, oh, geez, major flop. But like I said, I had fun, man, and it sounds like they had a lot of fun making it too, from what I gathered. Let's see what a uh, wiki has to say about the sequel. Uh, Canadian superhero horror comedy, of course. As I mentioned, the poster was modeled on the nineteen eighty six Sylvester Stallone film Cobra, as I mentioned. Oh my god, I would love to have both of these, like just side by side on my wall. It fucking just kicks ass. It is so awesome. Produced in uh, Lumsden, Saskatchewan and Sudbury, Ontario in the early months of 2016, a year prior to its release. Receptively, Rotten Tomatoes gives it another approval rating of the same score, 65% based on reviews from 17 critics. Noel Murray of the LA Times called it a one-stop shop for that just kind of good-natured vulgarity. I agree. Loved it. And even grosser and wackier than its predecessor. Yeah, I I can get on board with that. They're both great. And it literally just exemplifies what it had in the first one. And they were like, all right, we're just going to run with it and just make it even more nutty, which they did. And it, there's a, um, a character that helps out Lou in the sequel. Uh, he's in the first one as well. And you're led to believe that he's like a bad guy and they I don't really want to get into it. And then uh, he comes back in the sequel and he basically has this like warm dick looking thing like that tells him to like do stuff pretty much throughout the film. It's so just weird. Uh, Murray warns that the film isn't for everyone, but that if you're interested in the premise of a wolf cop, you probably won't be disappointed. Agreed. Yeah, it was awesome. Trace Thurman of BloodyDisgusting.com wrote, Another wolf cop isn't high art. It's just fun, gory, and hilarious midnight movie that will scratch your itch for camp. If you enjoyed the first one, you'll most certainly love the sequel. Yep. Basically just reiterating what I'm saying. Oh, boy. The film premiered at Rough Cut, a fantastic fest. Austin, Texas, in 2016, to positive reviews. The Canadian premiere was at the Fantasia International Film Festival in Montreal, Quebec, where it won the Audience Choice Award Gold for Best Canadian Quebec Feature Film. John Semley of the Globe and Mail gave it one and a half out of four. Uh, oh, boy. It may well be brain-dead dumb and intermittently a bit fun, but sometimes we need a bit more. Eh, if you want a bit more, how about just a fucking sequel, you know? And then just maybe call it quits, uh, even though the last film did kind of end on, like, a note where they're like, all right, we're done. Anyway, uh, lastly for... Uh, I guess, receptions here. Simon Abrams of RogerEber.com giving it a 1.5 out of 4. The kind of bad movie that sounds amazing on paper, but it is excruciating to watch. No. Disagree. Highly disagree. Even at a brisk 82 minutes. This one's a little longer, but yeah. Home media. The film earned an estimated $122,713 in DVD and Blu-ray sales on its $3 million budget. Wow. Uh, the sequel, the final credits promises that Wolf Cop will return. Lowell Dean expresses his hopes to continue the character in the same way and hope to make a third or even a fourth film. If you do, just make it just as goofy and fun. Like, don't I don't know, don't try and reach for the stars in terms of like expecting some sort of you know nomination at the Oscars, which clearly doesn't sound like they do. But it's got to be fun. Introduce other campy you know characters and obviously the previous characters that they just just roll with it, man. I, I think you'll you'll do well, Lowell Dean. It was a lot of fun, so thank you for that. Anyway. All right, I'll be talking about Looker now. 1981 PG, an hour and 33 minutes, has a 6.1 out of 6,100 reviews. I uh, managed to find a streamed uh, copy of this, admittedly. And the uh, tagline here says, if looks could kill. And that makes a lot of sense, considering what the film's uh, ideal plot is about. Uh, let me tell you about it. It is a drama sci-fi thriller. Three or four models who have plastic surgery done by Larry after a computed list are dead. Neither the cops nor Larry believe that they are suicides. Larry investigates who happens to be a plastic surgeon and stays with the fourth model who's behind the lists and murderers. Yeah, so he's basically a plastic surgeon discovering that um, James Coburn, who's the villain in this, has some sort of like robotic animatronic, I guess... I don't know, computer technology called a, uh, like, uh, was it DMI, Digital Matrix Incorporated, I believe is what it was. And it's basically mimicking everything that these uh, supermodels have done once they become 100% after uh, plastic surgery. And it's basically just killing them off because they've decided to use, I guess, uh, 3D holographic images to create, you know, uh, commercial advertisements for TV. So they're like, all right, well, we already got what we wanted out of you. We don't need you anymore. So they kill them. A lot of fun practical effects in this, you know, because it's 1981 and it's very like Trancers meets, uh, like Blade Runner or Scanners type, you know, but obviously with a little bit of more of a, I guess, thriller aesthetic to it, but, uh, it is directed by Michael Crichton as well as written by Michael Crichton. The name sounds familiar, right? Well, you know, Andromeda Strain, Jurassic Park, uh, next, uh, what Congo, I believe. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's well worth your time. I, I had a lot, a lot of fun with this and, uh, I definitely had it recommended to me by a guy from work. Uh, who also is an old soul and was like, yo, if you like sci-fi, you got to watch this one. Never heard it. I'm glad I watched it. Starring Albert Finney, James Coburn, uh, Leigh, Taylor Young, and Susan Day in terms of uh, recognition for uh, actors and actresses. I don't really recognize anybody else. Let me scroll down. No, I can't recognize anybody else. Okay, all right, that being said, moving on, uh, the taglines here is there's a lot more to her than meets the eye. They both work, you know, if looks can kill, I think is a little more... It's like blatantly obvious, but it's also subliminal at the same time. And it's short and sweet to the point. All right, here we go. Trivia. Let me get a sip of my liquid death here. Hang on. Ah, God, I love those waters, man. So good. First ever film to create 3D shading with a computer that produced the first ever CGI human character. That's fucking cool. Because I was under the impression I thought it was like Tron or uh, Excalibur that did the first CG. But I would like to think if they're telling me this is the first CG movie, I'm glad I watched it because it's fucking awesome. This movie achieved the uh, feat before Disney's more famous Tron. Oh, well, helps if I read, right? Tron in 1982. Hang on a second. Let me skip over the uh, commercial here. All right, back to Grover, Washington. Hell yeah. Uh, The website's film site said of Cindy, her digitization... (laughs) Wow, I can't fucking speak English. Holy shit. Uh, ...was visualized by a computer-generated simulation of her body being scanned. Notably, the first use of shaded 3D CGI in a feature film. Polygonal models obtained by digitizing a human body were used to render the effects. That's so cool. In the early 80s, Albert Finney, the main protagonist as Larry, the uh, uh, plastic surgeon, was in such high demand that he made nine films in three years. In fact, he ended his work on this movie on Friday and went to work on a movie, Shoot the Moon, in 82, the following Monday. Wow. Literally had the weekend to, you know, get some fucking food and was like, all right, back to work. Well, you know, hey, I guess you got to pay the bills, right? Anyway, Michael Crichton managed to predict a future technology, CGI, with this film, but put to more sinister applications, Right. Crichton was always a skeptic about new technologies. CGI would later bring dinosaurs to his life in one of his most successful stories, Jurassic Park, 1993, 12 years later. Right. Understood. I mean, that was pretty blatantly obvious. But anyway, uh, writer-director Michael Crichton once said of this film, television commercials are already manipulative. That's exactly what they're supposed to do. I don't consider that kind of manipulation evil, but what would happen if someone with a bit more scientific knowledge began tampering with commercials? Okay. All right. Yeah, why not? Uh, Kim Carnes, lastly, recorded her own version of the theme song on her album Voyeur in 82. The title song in the movie was performed by Sue Saad. Okay. All right. Let's get back to uh, what else I got here. Budgetary and production value and so forth. All right. Released October 30th, 1981. Uh, Happy Halloween, everybody, back then. Also known as (laughs) Mord von der Stang. Clearly German for, I'm guessing, the same thing. I really don't know. Uh, filmed at Art Center College of Design, Pasadena, California. Cool. Production companies, The Lag Company, as well as Warner Brothers. Its uh, box office budget at the time was $8 million. It was probably a lot to edit all that CGI for what they had, but they, they pull it off well here. It doesn't really look like CG, to be honest with you. But that being said, let's see what a wiki has to say about it. Uh, though sparse in visual effects, I disagree. The film is the first commercial film to attempt to make a CGI. Three-dimensional, solid-looking model of a whole human body. Its predecessors feature World*, Star Wars, and Alien. This was an example of CGI representing CGI and only depicted on CRT screens in the film rather than being used as a special effect. The model had no skeletal or facial movements and was not a character. Looker was also the first film to create three-dimensional shading with a computer, as I already mentioned, months before the release of the better-known film Tron. Tron is definitely much more well-known in terms... I don't really hear anybody ever talking about Looker. Let me take a sip here. Hang on. Ooh, Mr. Magic, the song is playing now. It's not just the album. He has a song called that too. Okay. Production-wise, Crichton started thinking about the subject of the film in 75. He says he went to LA Computer Company to find out how they could create copies and commercials without looking too ridiculous and discovered a company in Texas that was already doing it called Tomography. Looker became an early production of The Lad Company. It was Lay Taylor's young first film in eight years. James Coburn, the uh, main antagonist, later said that Uh, My part was pretty much on the cutting room floor. They really pissed that film that way. They had Albert Finney running around in a security guard's uniform throughout the film. It didn't make any sense. Uh, I disagree. I thought this film was better than Outland. I liked Outland. I did. I'll get to that in a minute. I just liked... I had more fun with this one. It could have been a good picture. It was about how television controls. Very much so. Uh, I agree with you there, uh, Mr. Uh, Coburn. Rest in peace. It was about how commercials manipulate people to buy products. Politicians, whatever. But they cut the film up for a television print. I don't know why they did that. They spent some bread on this picture, too. It was a 12 million production. Well, I have 8 million on IMDb, so how about we meet in the middle and we'll go, uh, we'll say 10. Sure, why not? That's not much today, but back then it was a pretty big budget. They agreed. Receptively, Looker was poorly received by critics, particularly the film historian Leonard Malton. An intriguing premise is mishandled. The result is illogical and boring. I disagree. Even Albert Finney cannot save this turkey. Okay, basically, picture like it's a sci fi thriller version of. Uh, Halloween three season of the witch. I mean, I can talk horror like I usually do. It's my favorite, but, uh, cause I, it should have just been called season of the witch if you, if you ask me, but it's like that where they manipulate via through, you know, TV advertisement and try and control. I mean, like what season of the witch was doing, they were trying to control with Halloween costumes, you know, but it's basically, it's almost kind of the same concept. But anyway, uh, the film holds a 32% rating on rotten tomatoes based on 22 reviews. It was not a success at the box office. And that's all I got on Looker, but uh, I, I still recommend it. I, I would say it's a lot of fun and well worth your time. Okay, Outland, 1981, rated R, an hour and forty-nine minutes, has a 6.6 out of 32,000 reviews, and I would give it that as well. It had practical effects and very uh, like matte painting type uh, effects for the time, considering you know what four years prior, Star Wars Episode Four, New Hope, you know, came out, and uh, definitely utilized a lot of matte painting as well. This one was this one was good too. Uh, I just, like I said, I had more fun with um, Looker. But anyway, let's see what the uh, tagline here on this cover is. On Jupiter's moon, he's the only law. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, short and sweet and to the point, yeah, he's he's a cop on Jupiter's moon. Anyway, it is an action crime sci-fi. I'd even throw a eh, light thriller in there. Why not? A federal marshal, uh, Sean Connery's character, stationed at a mining colony on the Jupiter moon of Io, uncovers a drug smuggling conspiracy. He gets no help from the workers or authorities when he finds himself marked for murder, which he did not murder anybody at all. Directed by Peter Himes. I definitely know the name. Let's see who, what, what else he did here. Hang on. Uh, time Cop. Hell yeah. Uh, 2010, the year we make contact. Okay. And he did the relic. Okay. So he's definitely known. I just didn't recognize the name. I mean, I feel like I recognize the name. I just didn't recognize his work. How about that? That's a better statement. All right. Back to business here. Okay, casted Sean Connery, as I mentioned. Uh, Francis Sternigan plays Dr. Marion Lazarus. Um, Peter Boyle is in this. He's the, uh, I guess, the main guy on uh, IO who's kind of, I guess, behind the scenes doing, like, uh, the drug smuggling. Kind of like the, you know, the kingpin, I guess, more or less, if you will, is how I would view him. trying to think who else is in this worth mentioning. I don't recognize any other names, but, uh, yeah, it's... It's still fun. I would recommend it highly. Uh, Let's see what the storyline here is. Uh, Marshall O'Neill is assigned to a mining colony in Io, one of Jupiter's moons. He soon encounters miners who are dying due to a use of an illegal amphetamine. And that amphetamine, if you take it, and then within a year, I think uh, you die, more or less, is what I think the premise was about. O'Neill follows the trail, and now O'Neill must watch his back, and now he's their target because he's obviously ridding the colony of drugs and that's how uh, Peter Boyle's character is essentially making money, and he doesn't like that. So I get it. Uh, the other tagline here is on Jupiter's moon, something deadly is happening. Both work, if you ask me. All right. Trivially, let's see what we got here. Okay. Writer director Pierre. P- Pier. Yeah, Pierre. Pierre? No, Peter. Pedro. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> Peter Himes handled the cinematography for most of the film, while Stephen Goldblatt usually worked when there was something Himes did not know how to do. Goldblatt was misleadingly hired by Hyams, who really wanted to stand aside and do nothing and to use him as a scapegoat for the lag company in case anything went wrong while using the new introvision process. He was furious at being lied to and wouldn't have taken the job if he'd known Hyams' intentions at the outset, but stayed on. Excuse me. That's my dogs, too. Oh, it's got to be the carbon in the water. Excuse me. Okay. But stayed on in order to learn how to use introvision because he's a young cinematographer with a sole prior feature credit. Quitting the movie could have ruined his career. It is the only one of his movies whose rap party he skipped. Well, he's bitter. and He has every right to be. I, I get it. Uh, Sean Connery lost a major extended cameo role in Chariots of Fire in 81 because this movie went over schedule. Oh, wow. I didn't even know he was going to be in that film. And I want to say I watched it and it's overrated if you ask me one of the few movies to be released theatrically with the Megasound system format. Megasound was a movie theater sound system created by the Warner Brothers in the early 80s. Well, it makes sense because this came out in 81. It was used to enhance the premiere engagements of the handful of Warner Brothers films. Theater equipped for Megasound had additional speakers mounted on the left, right, and rear walls of the auditorium. Uh, Selected soundtrack events with low frequency content, thuds, crashes, explosions, etc. were directed to these speakers at very high volume, creating a visceral, visceral, excuse me, Effect intended to thrill the audience. The script was directly inspired by Gary Cooper classic Gary Cooper. The original title was going to be called Just IO instead of Outland, but Himes was persuaded to change the title by an executive from the live company, following a demonstration on random people, which showed that many would read the title as Number Ten. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I can agree with that. So they changed it. The mining company is referred by the name Con Amalgamate. This is the same name given to the company that manufactured the defective life support system mentioned in Capricorn 1, 1977. Also written and directed by Peter Himes. Okay. Con Amalgamate is also the name of the company that Peter Boyle's character, Jack Mitchell, said that he would work for in T.R. Baskin in the film, 1971. Got it. Okay. Interesting. Well, I suppose only, once again, nerd nerds would know that, right? All right. Let me see here. Released May twenty second, 1981. Country of origin filmed in the UK. It's also known as Planet Prekleta, Yeah, whatever. Interesting. Okay, Uh, Filmed in Pinewood Studios, Ivor... Once again, okay, here, here, hang on, hear me out. Filmed in Pinewood Studios, Ivor Heath, Buckinghamshire, England, UK. Yes. (laughs) It's just such long titles. Well, produced by The Lag Company, as I've already stated. It's box office budget for the time was $16 million, and I can see that because a lot of fucking effects went into this and you can just tell but it was it was well worth it i had fun with it and it had like the air bladder effects like when their helmets would come off in their outer space and their head explodes and it was it was fucking cool it grossed uh, 17 million so i mean they definitely made their money back in an extra million sure which most of it probably went to me sean connery yes because i was the main protagonist um <laughs> anyway let's see what uh, outland has for me on wikipedia it has been described as a space western Uh, agreed, I can get on board with that and bears narrative and thematic resemblances to the 1952 film High Noon which I own, just still haven't managed to watch that one yet I guess that makes sense considering the Gary Cooper uh, aesthetic and analogous, uh, you know, reference anyway, the film follows a new marshal who starts work on a mining facility I O. he discovers a dirty scene, yeah, you already know that anyway, I'm reading the plot here Okay, production company, development. Heimes recalls, I wanted to do a western. Everybody said you can't do a western. Westerns are dead. Nobody will do one anymore. I remember thinking it was a weird thing that this genre had endured for so long, but was just gone out of nowhere. I woke up and came to the conclusion, obviously after other people, that it was actually alive and well, but in outer space. I wanted to make a film about the frontier. Not the wonder of it or the glamour of it. I wanted to do something about Dodge City and how hard life was. I wrote it. And by great fortune, Sean Connery wanted to do it. Now, how many chances do you get to work with Sean Connery? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, that works. Developed at Universal by Hyams and producer Richard Roth. Universal turned it down then, and Roth, who had developed a deal at 20th Century Fox under Alan Ladd Jr., took the project to Ladd's new company, the, the Ladd Company. Outland was filmed at Pinewood Studios with initial budget of 12 million. So they're telling me it was at 16. We'll meet in the middle. I don't know. 13? No. We'll go 14. Yeah, 14. Sure, why not? Because it clearly doesn't match compared to what IMDb is telling me. Uh, I O was the original, uh, obviously title for the film, and they were confusing, considering people would read it as ten. But post production for the film was completed in February of eighty one, and they changed it the title in uh, May of eighty. Got it. Okay. Outland was pioneering at the first motion picture to use introvision, so both films managed to do something different. Obviously, Looker utilized early CGI, and then uh, this film used introvision. Cool a variation on front projection that allows foreground, mid-ground, and background elements to be combined in the camera, as opposed to using optical processes such as blue-screen matting, which I already mentioned four years prior, which was definitely used in Star Wars, but they managed to do it flawlessly in my opinion, if you ask me, enabling characters to convincingly walk around miniature sets of the mining colony. Okay, receptively, it opened strongly with $3 million in the box office receipts According to a U.S. New York Times, its opening weekend, the film was sensational in L.A. and in New York East Side. It played poorly in smaller cities by platforming outland opening it in less than 350 cities in the U.S. to allow it to build an audience rather slowly. The company gambled that the movie would appear to ticket buyers, uh, excuse me, appeal, not appear. The picture would be in trouble if it drops off the box office that weekend. Total extimate. Yeah, extimated because that's a fucking word. I'm a dumbass. Jeez. Total estimated box office receipts in the country wound up being $17 million and $20 million, just above its $16 million budget. So they clearly, like I mentioned, they got their money back, but barely, more or less. Okay, critical acclaim. Washington Post said that Outland writer-director Peter Himes had adapted the plot of High Noon, as they mentioned in 1952, to an intriguing sci-fi environment, a huge titanium mine located on Iowa, a volcanic moon of Jupiter. But the conventions that worked for High Noon break down in the high-tech atmosphere of Outland, and the story seems to trite a little bit and is dinky. I disagree, personally, but whatever. Desmond Ryan at the Philadelphia Inquirer called it a brilliant sci-fi western. In many ways, Himes had made it that this film is frightening. It's much more frightening than Alien. I I disagree highly. Wow. Because he surmises that the space will change us very little and real monsters we are liable to encounter will be in the next spacesuit. Okay, so they're implying that humans are more scary in terms of, uh, actual alien beings that we are unaware of. Uh, okay. I guess I can get on board with that, but it more frightening than the film alien itself. No, disagree. Christopher John reviewed Outland in Aries magazine. Number 10 commented, the Outland is a great film. It's not just for the science fiction fans. It's successful. Will doubtfully inspire a few tired, low grade imitations. Yeah. Pro- yeah. It probably did. Hopefully it will inspire a few more solid, interesting and entertaining films as well. Uh, I got two more for you. David Harkin at Taste of Cinema suggests that Outland is a perfect example of Sean Connery in transition from leading man to older statesman of Hollywood. Yeah, I think he transitioned to this era of filming pretty well as as well, in my opinion. Run Tomatoes, Outland holds a 54% out of 28 reviews. And that's all they say. There's nothing good or bad about it, I guess. 54%, sure, I guess, whatever, I'll take it. Okay. It was the first, uh, excuse me, it was first released for home video on VHS beta and V2000 videotapes formats in November of 82. Had many reissues on VHS between 82 and 98. Wow, 16 years later. Uh, including a widescreen uh, VHS on January 7th, 1997. Video disc releases included the CED disc in August of 83, a laser disc released in 84, and remastered laser disc of August of 91. And then released DVD. November of 97. Wow, so many reiterations of this film. Uh, North American airings. Outland debuted on pay TV in the U.S. in September of 82 on HBO and Showtime channels. In Canada, the film was the first shown on in October of 83 on Super Channel. Okay. And yeah, it aired May of 84 on CBS on, uh, you know, U.S. televisions as well. Okay, there were uh, comic book adaptations as well as What I'm Reading, a novelization by Warner Brothers in 81. And okay. All right, ooh. In August of 2009, Warner Brothers announced that the director Michael Davies, not Davies, excuse me, Davis, had been hired to direct a remake of the film. No casting or start date information was announced. That's also fucking 15 years ago that that was announced, too. Okay, all right, well, anyway, lastly, I will tell you what I'm gonna be talking about now. I finally managed to snag a uh, a digital copy on Tubi. It's free, it's still there. It's one of those uh, leaving soon titles, though, so if you wanna watch it, you better hurry up and get to it. I watched. Three Ninjas, High Noon at Mega Mountain, the fourth installment of the original Badass Trilogy as a kid that I loved. I mean, like I said, nostalgia is a powerful drug, and I've said it many times again, and I will continue to still say it. Uh, I'm glad that I watched it. It's definitely the corniest one of them all. Uh, it, it still has a special place in my heart. It's fun for what it is. The first three are definitely better, but I'm glad that I still watched it. I damn near like almost teared up just watching it. Cause it was just one of those things, man. I remember having it, I think it was in a clam VHS, uh, you know, shell case. And it just, it it just meant a lot to me, man. You know, but anyway, released 1998. It's a PG film hour, 33 minutes. It's rating is garbage. It has 2,900 out of 12,000 reviews. I'd at least maybe give it like a four. It's, it's not nearly as good as the others. I had to get a sip of water there is an action adventure comedy. I mean, basically just picture, like I've mentioned before, the original three ninjas, uh, all three of them just picture, you know, home alone, but with, you know, black belt kids, basically. <laughs> it's really what it is. Uh, the three unstoppable ninja brothers fight to save their hero, Hulk Hogan, uh, known as Dave Dragon in this film and mega mountain amusement park from vicious kid hating Medusa, Lonnie Anderson, as well as, uh, James Varney or was it James Varney? Is that his name? Jim Varney, excuse me. Jim Varney, a.k.a. Lothar Zog in this film. Yeah, Jim Varney, that... uh, Ernest P. Worrell here. Yeah, fucking Ernest is in this film as a villain. I mean, come on. Can't get any better than that. Directed by Sean McNamara. Let me see what else this individual did. I definitely recognize the name. Sounds familiar. Uh, He did Soul Surfer, that film that came out, what, 13 years ago now? Uh, I don't recognize anything else. Oh, he produced uh, the Even Stevens TV series. Okay, all right, well. Anyway... Okay. Lonnie Anderson is the main villain. Hulk Hogan is Dave Dragon. Victor Wong, the only member to appear in all four films as Grandpa Mori. And... Who else is in this? Uh, The original uh, Mr. and Mrs. Douglas, Sam, and... uh, What was... Jessica, that was her name, yeah. Douglas, yeah, 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 the mom and dad. They are in this as well. Uh, I think the only one they weren't in was uh, Knuckle Up. They're definitely in the original self-titled Three Ninjas as well as Kick Back. Not knuckle up, but they're, they come back in this one. That's so cool that they uh, managed to be in all of them. But anyway, all right, let me move on here. Storyline, once again, three young boys, Rocky, Colton, and Tum together with their neighbor girl Computer Whiz Amanda, are visiting Mega Mountain Amusement Park when it is invaded by an army of ninjas led by Evil Medusa, a.k.a. Lonnie Anderson's character, who wants to take over the park, hold the owners for ransom, kids and retired TV star Dave Dragon, a.k.a. Hulk Hogan, who basically had like a... Uh, Knock off, like, Power Rangers TV show and then, like, a little live-action show at the amusement Park. Uh, Who made his farewell appearance at the park at the time the ninjas appeared have to break Medusa's vicious plans. Taglines. Saving the day, the ninja way. Wow, wow, really corny. Let me see what the cover art and the actual... Yep, it's the same same tagline. Okay, all right. Scrolling back down. Let me see trivia here. Victor Wong's last film before his uh, death. Well, rest in peace, brother, because... It was awesome. I had fun with it. Max Elliott Slade, who played Colt in all three original films, was supposed to play it in this film, but he went back to school instead. Uh, The only three ninjas film without narration from the boys at the beginning and end of the film. Out of all four films of the three ninjas franchise, Victor Wong, a.k.a. Grandpa Mori, is the only actor appear in all four films, as I mentioned. Uh, Illich Gardens, where the movie was filmed, was completely remodeled for shooting. All of the park and ride signs were changed for the film. In a few places, the real signs for the rides and parks are in the background. And lastly, Victor Wong also said that this was his favorite of the uh, four films that he made. Even though he's really not in it that long, I guess he just had a lot of fun with it because he knew it was going to be his last hurrah, I guess. But that's that's really cool. Very touching. Okay. Released June 18, 1998. Um, filmed in the U.S., Santa Cruz, California. Produced by Leeds, Ben Amy Productions, Sheen Productions, and TriStar Pictures. Uh, box office. Grossed $375,000. I don't know what the budget was. It's not telling me here. Maybe Wikipedia will tell me otherwise. Let's see what we got here. Oh, boy. Okay, the movie was filmed in Denver, Colorado, at a Litch Gardens theme park, as well as Santa Cruz, as I mentioned. So I guess they went back and forth, but it doesn't really tell me when and what sequences they were using all right let's uh let's scroll down here production filming began in 96 hulk hogan wrestling in a world championship wrestling match at the time wore a wig for this film resulting in him having a different hairstyle than his traditional bald look as a result he is seen in halloween havoc 96 with a similar hairstyle he had in this film Illich Gardens theme park, the theme park which it was filmed, underwent a complete remodel with all signs, backgrounds renamed for the film. However, there are a few times that there are scenes in the background. As I already mentioned, it's the same trivia that I already conveyed to you via IMDb. Uh, not much left here. Receptively, the film had a universally negative reviews and is generally considered to be the worst of the four films. I can agree with that, but it's still fun. If I were to choose, I would probably go in... Out of the four, I would probably go the original one... Fuck, man. I don't know, man. Kickback might be my favorite one. And then I would probably go the first one. Then I would go Knuckle Up. And then this one, probably. So, I would go... Because Knuckle Up, I believe, was filmed technically before Kickback. But came out after Kickback. So, I would say... Yeah, I would probably go Kickback, the first one. And then Knuckle Up. And then this one. Yeah. So, what is that? I guess, so, 3-1... No. No. Two, one, three, four is how I would probably watch them. Anyway, uh, the film, universally negative reviews, generally considered to be the worst, as I mentioned. On Rotten Tomatoes, the film has an approval rating of 0% based on seven reviews. Wow, holy crap. Metacritic giving it 44 out of 100, indicating mixed or average reviews. Uh, I, I can agree with where they're coming from, but it, it's still fun for what it is. Uh, Joe Layden of Variety wrote, only small children with limited attention spans will be impressed by the lackluster Kung foolishness. Anita Gates of the New York Times said that things are sad when Hulk Hogan gives the most touching performance in the film. He does. He's very much like, almost like their dad who, I don't know, I guess is kicking ass with them more or less. Gates calls the film interminably boring. Yeah, but concedes it is possible young children might enjoy it. The film was later released in a trilogy set along with the second and third films in the franchise. It has seen a nostalgic revival. Simon of the Mighty 90s called it the most 90s movie you can watch. Uh, I could probably put it maybe in, like, top 10 or top 20, sure. But, I mean, in terms of it being the most 90s movie, and if you're telling me that's your number one, then no, I can't agree with that. Also stating it had the most complex and impressive fight scenes of the franchise. Uh, they are rather in- intricate and impressive for what they are able to achieve with what they had. Um, I really feel like in terms of fighting, some of the stuff I saw in Knuckle Up, I feel like really gets overlooked a lot. Kickback probably has the... I'd say Kickback and Knuckle Up kind of go toe-to-toe, but Kickback probably has the best. Then I would probably say Knuckle Up, and then this one has the best. The first one, they were obviously trying to figure things out. The first one is just... It's classic, man. The original, and like the fucking cover with the colors on it, like the pink and the purple and the so 90s colors, it's awesome, but... There you have it, guys. Episode 113. I hope I went out with a bang, man. I got to talk Three Ninjas, High Noon, and Mega Mountain. I'm glad I finally watched it. I might have to see if I can score still a copy of um, Warriors of Virtue Return to Tau, the sequel. It seems like the only way I'm going to be able to find it is if I rent it via Amazon. I think it's only like 3 bucks. But that being said, I talked five movies, my recent pickup, Wizard VHS. I'm going to hopefully pick up that Dreamcast tomorrow. And then I beat uh, Final Fantasy and Mystic Quest on Super Nintendo. So that being said, I think that means it's time for me to probably start playing... Another uh, JRPG, maybe Super Nintendo, maybe PS1, or Game Boy Advance, I'm not sure. Uh, oh, I also forgot to mention, I was playing uh, the new Donkey Kong, well, the newest Donkey Kong, uh, Tropical Freeze. A buddy of mine sold it to me on uh, Switch, he had the little uh, cartridge and I picked it up, and uh, man, if you like OG Donkey Kong with like up-to-date graphics, that's really what it is. It's a lot of fun, it's like Donkey Kong Country on steroids, but... There you have it, episode 113, guys. I talked the movies, pickups, games I was playing and so forth. Uh, enjoy the rest of your weekend. Happy New Year, everyone. As always, thank you for the love and support. Good night, everybody.